0: How many of you uh, use Band-Aids at your house? Oh, you raised your hand. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, there you go. Do what? Use dirt. Well, that's one other option. Uh, What else do you guys use like that? Do you ever use duct tape? Anybody? Really love duct tape. Duct tape kind of drives me crazy because it leaves something like stuck on there. That kind of bothers me. But uh, there there are some people I know that buy boxes and boxes of uh, duct tape. And uh, that's kind of what people use. I was listening, or I guess I was watching a video of uh, Dale Earnhardt coming in and, into, um, he was stopping because I guess he had been in kind of a little small wreck. And uh, he was at the pit, and I remember the announcer said something like, isn't that invention of duct tape was so wonderful? And, you know, it was an early days kind of thing for him. And they were duct taping his car together so he could get back out into the race. And uh, I was just reminded of, like, all the different ways that we kind of want to uh, uh, deal with an issue, and we say, listen, a Band-Aid, duct tape, whatever, let's just kind of fix it ourselves and not really worry about like the long-term consequences. We'll get to that later. Well, what we've been studying in this book, in Genesis, is God created this wonderful world, man rebelled, it caused all kinds of trouble, and as a result, uh, the only uh, option was that they would come under the judgment of God. We saw that last week. We saw all, all these curses fall down upon creation, upon man, upon uh, our relationship with God, all of those things. And then you remember maybe that Adam and Eve, like their kind of idea of fixing the problem was to sew like fig leaves together or whatever, and, and they're going to cover themselves and try to deal with their their guilt and, and try to run from God, that kind of thing. And they're trying to deal with their guilt in a certain way. And this week we're going to say, that won't do. That's not going to fix the problem. This is too big. There are some people that have a very low view of what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. But this passage says, no, it's really big. It's not a small thing. It's not something man can fix. It becomes the backdrop for the rest of the Bible. The rest of the story of redemption is going to find itself kind of uh, tied to this. So it's not a small thing. No, Like duct tape won't do. And all of man's religion and all of our kind of things that we might try to do to fix it, that won't do. It's not enough. There's no work of man that can fix something that only God can Fix And so that's what we're looking at today. Hopefully you will see that it will kind of come alive to you. Um, and, and I think it's important that we say that 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 only God's mercy uh, shown to us will deal with this massive issue uh, that we are facing today. So we are going to start and I think it's just helpful to do this and we're going to start and we're, we're going to see first kind of a glimpse of faith in the life of Adam. And we're going to move through from that and look at the issue of substitution and atonement and just kind of the idea of covering in general. Then we'll move to kind of the issue of like, well, this keeping them from the tree of life, is it grace or judgment or both? And how do we put that together? And then the last thing is we're going to just talk about like, what does it mean to be outside of the presence of God, kept from his holiness? And, and see all of those unfold. So there's a lot of things going on, but I, but you still are thinking about how are we going to solve this problem of rebellion against God and and what all of the judgment that followed. So let's look at verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. By the way, just kind of thinking through this, one thing to see is, is that Adam is leading here. He has this role of leadership. Remember, before we saw him not leading, but now we're kind of seeing a glimpse of his leading, his purpose, what God designed him to do. And he names Eve something wonderful—the mother of all living. Now, it's um, in, in in kind of in this understanding of when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The result was you would surely die. There's this glimmer of hope in the midst of that. Now where did that come from? That glimpse of hope. Well if we could go back to 3.15 we see there was this promise that from your seed there will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. There's something about that that says there's a future for you. Adam and Eve, there is some future. Yes, there is spiritual death that we will see. Ultimately, physical death that we will see. But there is a future. There's uh, y'all are originating kind of or the original humans, and what will flow from you uh, will be life. Um, so she's not the mother of all the dead, but the living. And so I think that's important. And and that living one, someone is coming. Again, that will overthrow sin, death, hell, and the grave. Third, just kind of thinking through this. um, This shows us faith in that promise. This is just kind of the, just to reiterate that, but you want to see this and say, okay, there's this, this life that's coming forth. We also know that there is like one who's coming to crush the head of the serpent, but the, in the very act of naming her Eve, he is like saying, I'm identifying with what God said. I'm trusting in his promise to do this. Like not all hope is lost here. We know that our bodies will be corrupted. We know that we will face death. We know all of those things, but yet there's great hope here. Now, move on to verse 21. So the first aspect here is, I think you do see, uh, Adam trusting in what God has said. But then you go on to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Remember, when it started out in the garden, they were naked and they were not ashamed. But then we saw them ashamed. And so they're trying to cover this guilt that they have. And they put the leaves on. They're trying to cover it in that way. But but what does God do? God makes garments for them. Why? Why is that so important? Some of you might be like, I don't know. I mean, maybe God said, hey, leather would be nicer than, than leaves. It'll last longer. Is that, is that what's going on here? Or is there something much bigger going on? So I think there is, and we'll talk about that just for a moment. Leaves could not cover sin. You can't band-aid it. You can't duct tape this. You know, some people in their lives, if they were thinking about it, what they try to do when they sin is, in a way, cover it up. And the way that they cover it up is by doing more good. So I did bad. I'm going to do something really nice. I was really ugly today. So I'm going to make a meal for somebody and go give it to them. And now I feel better. My conscience feels better. I was mean to my wife. I should write her a card. Or I should buy her a present. I'm going to try to make amends for that. So that my conscience over time might be clear, kind of, you might say. Right? In a way, whenever we're seeking to do that over and over again, trying to cover... Our guilt and shame ourselves with something other than the way in which God's going to address that, it is a sign that, man, we are like hoping in the wrong thing. So you'll notice here, he made his, uh, Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This reveals God's grace to them. God would not be satisfied with leaves. God would need something much greater. He would need a sacrifice. He would need blood to be spilled. He would need a substitute. Do you understand? There needs to be a substitute. The day that you eat from this tree, you will surely die. What would be a gracious response from God? Not to give them a covering of leaves. Not to say, Great job. I'm glad you covered yourself with leaves. I'm so proud of you. I'm going to forget about that sin. That's not not what happened. What does he do? He kills an animal in their place, he spills blood. He spills blood for them. he th- That's what takes place here. You see the very first instance of salvation by substitution. The animal is standing in their place. Hebrews chapter 10, turn there with me. For since, Hebrews 10, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. For since the law was but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who who draw near. So the leaves would not do, nor would an imperfect uh, sacrifice, an imperfect substitute. You could, They could go and kill all those animals in their place as a temporary substitute, but it would not deal with the issue. I don't make much of the fall. I mean, that was Adam and Eve making a bad decision. And, you know, like, they made up for it. And God was pr- proud. And that's not, that's not Christianity. That's not what he's saying here. A lot of death occurs to demonstrate substitution must take place. But, but it's just important to say it was not sufficient it was not sufficient. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If it was sufficient, it wouldn't have happened every year. Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to what? Take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Genesis sets the stage. The world is in order. Things are good. Man rebels. Man seeks to save himself. Man finds out that his desires, his way of trying to save himself with leaves was not enough. So God offered a temporary solution so that they didn't die that day. And the temporary solution was to provide a substitute. An animal died. And all throughout the rest of the Bible... Every time you see someone placing their hands on an animal and confessing the sins of the people over it, and then that animal's blood is spilled and death comes, it is always a temporary solution to a massive problem. And the only hope was that we would be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus, what? Once for all. It's shocking. I mean, that, that is amazing. It all set up there. It's amazing. It's powerful. It helps you see that patching won't do. We were coming back from the mountains of Georgia not too long ago, and the light came a little on Anna's car. You know the little sign says the tires low, and so I, I, I kind of already had it aired up earlier in the week, and because I, I was just like I don't know we changed you know all kind elevation probably temperature all this kind of stuff. I'll just have this person air up the car. So anyway, we're coming back. And uh, I end up pulling over to the side of the road, looking and think, it is kind of low. I'm thinking we need to get it fixed. We pull in there. The guy says, let's patch it. Uh, we just need to. There's something in there. It's kind of leaking. It was a slow leak, but I thought, well, we're driving 10 hours today. So they patched it. Uh, we were able to just kind of sit there in the car because we were our, kind of in a hurry, you know. And uh, then we get home, and three days later, the tire's flat again. And I'm thinking... Are you kidding me? Like, you know, we didn't just put a plug in there. Like, we patched it. The for real deal way to do it. But then I take it over to my uh, cousin's shop, and he's like, well, there's another, like, you know, nail in the th-. I'm like, you guys, are you joking? You know, it's not. But it was, I, at my, and my first thought was, you know, it's just, it's one of those reminders. I thought, man, we're, we tried to patch something that you couldn't patch, you know. And I think that's what humanity does. I think that is an issue that we will struggle with. And I think we need to understand that the only way to satisfy God is not by coming up with some way that we're going to do that. And he demonstrates from the very outset. It teaches us one last thing. Listen. When this happens, it teaches us one more thing. That God is just. I I mean... So I remember sitting down with a guy who was of another religion, another part of the world. He, he had flown over to study, work on his PhD. And we were sitting there talking one day and I was like, what are you going to do with your sin? I just need to know. Uh, he, he agreed that God was holy and he was sinful. Like he agreed with that. And I was like, what are you going to do with it? I mean, what, what do you do with that? And he's like, man, I just think that God knows that about us, and He is going to kind of let it like pass if we live a really try to live a good life. It, it was that moment of like Him saying, "In the end, He'll just sweep it under the rug." And, I, I, and in my mind, you know, of course, alarms are going off, and I'm saying like, "But He's just. He can't. He is just." That's that's what the Scripture says in Romans that. We have all sinned and that God is both just and the justifier for all those who put their faith in Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying like justice was served on his son and through that God is justifying us. So we start out, I think you see a glimpse of Adam hoping in the promise made by God. There's this kind of uh, faith he's trusting in. There's one coming from Genesis 3.15. One that will crush the head of the serpent. We move from there and we look at this situation and we say, how does this salvation thing work? And it, it is salvation by substitution. Verse 22, you kind of get to this place where you're like, and, I, and I'm not sure I have this in my head completely, but you see in verse 22 that man gets this knowledge of good and evil, and they are cut off from the tree of life. Now, what is all of that about? You know what's going on. God is going to place uh, an, an angel in front of the the place where they cannot enter in. But I think here we just want to see in verse 22 that. They had become like God, knowing good and evil, but it was a perverted knowledge. It was a sin-drenched knowledge. Their knowledge caused all kinds of trouble for them. And if you think about it, you know, for a little bit, and you say, what would it be like to kind of drink from the fountain of youth? Some people are doing that all the time. They're trying to, right? They're trying to mask their aging, you know, they're. There are things that are also just kind of called that or you're trying to kind of push that back. Well, what would it be like to drink from the fountain of youth in a sense, but still live in a fallen world and still be broken and still be sinful? You know, I, I, I do think that's something to consider. Why would God want to keep them from this eternal life without actually giving them like a, the, the ability to truly be rescued. That, that's one aspect of it, to live perpetually in a state of eternal life while at the same time still messed up. Uh, another thing they may say, you know, somebody might argue, well, this is symbolic of just saying, like, you know, th- they can't have that because the, the true sacrifice hasn't been made. There's no real way uh, for them at this time. So, but just in my mind, to be left to Rome. In a sinful situation and never be free would be a horrific situation to be in. Now, verse 23 and 24, we are going to see like the results of sin being outside of the garden, being outside of God's presence. What are the results of that? And is God showing any mercy to us? Well, as I just mentioned, perhaps just keeping us from living perpetually in a state of corruption But verse 23 and 24, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now one step of this that might be helpful is to say, what would it like would be like for humanity and we see it over and over when they try to come into the presence of God while at the same time not covered in some way not cleansed from their sin to come, try to come in the presence of God as sinners i mean over and over you'll see people even like moses who says i will show me your glory and god has to cover his glory in a way to keep him from really entering into that and others that will be, you know, like Isaiah where you see the cherubim like hiding him from the glory of God. To to be a, a sinner trying to come into the presence of a holy God is a frightening thing. So being outside of God's presence in one way is a mercy because sinners can't enter into the presence of a holy God without a a substitute, without one who has gone in before them, without one who has paid for their sins. Otherwise, they would come under the just wrath of God. Now, they're being protected from God's presence in one sense, and I think that is an extremely important one, just to say that to you. It is a good thing to be protected from His presence until access has been granted by one who was the final substitute who would rescue and save you uh, from your sins. You'll see that in the tabernacle. There will be cherubim. uh, When you you look in in the tabernacle and you're going in, if you were to try to enter into the Holy of Holies, there is a curtain keeping you, protecting you. So not only do you see the cherubim in the garden, when the, the, the tabernacle was built, it was like keeping you from the holiness of God, from the presence of God. In the temple, again keeping you from the presence of god it was a protection for you and so i think that's just important to note and i think it's important to see as soon as man sinned god found him and provided him a savior he opened a way back to himself and 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 guards that way jealously and so we have to be reminded that one of the things we would say to people is God is holy, you are sinful, and the only way for you to be able to be in relationship with Him, to be restored to Him, to be brought back into that relationship, is through His Son. There is no other way. So, I think we could read this passage and say, there is some level of terror when you think about all this, when you consider it, when you understand like what in the world happened. When you think about man's way of trying to band-aid his life or try to cover up his sins, and and like, I don't know if you remember that as a child, you'd like try to cover up your sin. You would try to find ways to be like, I'm still hiding. And and in some ways you say, I'm still hiding. I still have those moments where you're hiding. You're keeping from others those things, and you think somehow it's going to really deal with it. This passage helps us see it will never deal with that. You can never deal with your sin, your spiritual separation from God, your spiritual death, except for in one way. And that is to come through His Son. We should be running people to the cross. Everybody. There's nobody that doesn't need that. We should be saying, listen, there was an acceptable sacrifice. There was a perfect sacrifice. There was one who would substitute as a substitute for us. It's not just you trying to be good enough. If you could be good enough, Jesus wouldn't have to die. But Jesus died. He had to die. He had to die in our place as a substitute for us so that we could have access to God. He is the one that returns us back to God, into His presence. He's the reason today that you can pray. He is the reason that you can enter into God's presence. He is the great high priest interceding for you. He has passed through the heavenlies. The veil of the temple was torn in two so that you could have access. He is your only hope. We we have to say that to people. We have to say that is our only hope. That is your only hope. He is the only way back to God. He is the reason that we look forward in hope, uh, looking toward the day where we will enter into this presence again. He's the reason that we can say there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and everything will be restored and there'll be no need for light there for the light of the sun will light that place. He's the reason that we say there will be no more death or sin or dying or pain or any of those things. No more disease, no more disorders, everything that was broken because of the fall. Never any more anxiety. Never that feeling of, I don't feel like I can ever feel at home. I feel like lost in some way or I feel kind of so broken hearted. None of that. All those things. It, as a result of the fall where we feel like we're separated from God and we need to be enter, we need to enter in, we want to draw close, we want to experience the fullness of His presence. All of those things come through His Son. So you as a person, if you are outside of Christ today and you have all this duct tape on you, Spiritually speaking, and you're walking around. I've, I, I'm trying to cover it up. I've tried to fix myself. You're doing that? You are, you are doing what humanity tries to do when they try to fix themselves apart from God. But if you today are in Christ, you can with great hope say, like, this was not a faulty fixing of the situation this was not a covering but a cleansing a restoration and so I would just say to you today hope in him that is where your confidence should lie that's where your hope is that's what we should be filled with gratitude over and that's what we ought to be pointing others to let's pray father we thank you for your word we ask that you would give us a heart of faith that we would trust in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ and what He did. That we would know that that we want true restoration, eternal life with You that is right and true and good. We thank You that although we are outside of Your presence, in, in, in part, that we now experience Your presence through Your Son in, in the power of the Spirit. But as we await the fullness of your presence, we ask that we would do so in hope and with longing and with a desire for holiness now. In Christ's name, amen.